Well, good morning, my church. How are y'all today? You better start decking. Hey, how many of you have boys that are 12 or under? If you do, you're going to know what this is if you don't already. This is the mega mastodon mac daddy of all Nerf guns. It costs almost the price of a regular gun, which is why it was the only present JD was getting for Christmas this year. Now, I don't know how y'all do Christmas at your house, but we have like this Santa blanket thing where Santa's presents aren't wrapped, and then the gifts we give each other are wrapped. So we, we have two stories at our house, and I was thinking that J.D. will wake up early, he will peek before anyone else looks, and so if this is laying out on his Santa blanket, it's over for him. Christmas is over. He'll have seen it all. So I came up with the worst parent fail idea of all time for an 11-year-old boy who borderlines on ADD. I had just one little tiny box sitting on his Christmas blanket. I think poor thing thought he was bad this year. It was a maze, and you had to solve the maze in order to find the clue to go find the real present, only the maze that worked very easily the night before on Christmas Eve would not work on Christmas morning. It was like pure torture for a kid. 15 minutes he's trying to solve this puzzle um, to go find this thing that was hidden. And Jeff whispers to me, well, good thing you put it together already. And I was like, oh, I did not put it together. We ran on the little treasure hunt. We go and find this thing. And here's a hint for you. If you have boys, you can get any Nerf gun on Amazon for about half price. The only problem is it doesn't come in the regular Nerf gun box. It comes in, I don't know, probably a box from China and it comes in pieces. So I'm not really sure if this is official Nerf, but we finally get to the box like 20 minutes into Christmas. Everybody else has all their stuff. Poor JD doesn't have anything. We get to the end of the treasure hunt, and then we have to put this together. Well, I'm feeling really bad right now as the mom who didn't do it the night before, so I volunteered to put the gun together without reading the directions, of course. And when it came time to put this little drum part that's kind of essential to the fun of the Nerf gun, I put it together the wrong way, like where it wouldn't shoot, it was going to shoot backwards. And I tried to yank it apart, and it wouldn't yank apart. And so finally, we had to call in Dad to the rescue, and Jeff is like, give me that thing. He gets in here and he's like manhandling it and ripping it apart. And JD is almost in tears. Like he's the most grateful kid ever, but he's like, daddy, you're breaking it. You're going to break my gun. It's never going to work. And dad's like, JD, calm down, chill out. I'm going to have to break it in order to fix it and put it back together the right way. Well, that's what we're talking about today, because I don't know about you, but have you ever decided that this is going to be the year, the year I get closer to God, the year I finally do things right, the year I set some, you know, spiritual God goals that will make him proud, like, you know, doing the new through 30 thing with my church, and I'm trying to get in a small group and do everything right, and sometimes it feels like you're taking steps to do everything right, and it feels like things are getting worse. Has that ever happened to you? I had a friend one time who said, Christy, I came back to church. I got in a small group. I mean, I'm doing everything y'all are saying to do, and everything in my life is getting worse. It's not getting better. Anybody ever tried to quit sugar before? What happens on like day three of cutting sugar out of your life? It is miserable, right? You start to shake and panic, and you feel 
awful and you're mean because it gets worse before it gets better. And most of us never make it through the worst to the place where you actually feel better. Well, sometimes in life, especially in our spiritual journey, things get worse before they get better. God has to sometimes break us apart in order to fix us and put us back together in a way that he knows will be better so that we can work in the long run because he sees the big picture. Will you pray with me before we start today's conversation? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you will do whatever it takes to get us where we need to be. God, sometimes that whatever it takes doesn't feel so good to us, so help us from your word to understand what it is you might be up to in this season of life or in a season that's to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeff has had you in a series called Pursued. He invited me to share, um, sometimes he invites me just to share a different perspective. We could not be more opposite. When we went through marriage counseling, there was a red line and a blue line, and our red and blue lines were exactly opposite. And the counselor said, this is either going to be really, really good, or this is going to be really, really bad. So if you're visiting with us at my church today, you're going to get a different perspective, and it's either going to be really, really good, or it's going to be really, really bad. So hang on. Um, We like to be able to let you hear from different perspectives. And we've been in this weird, crazy book called Hosea. Anybody ever read Hosea? I mean, what if we had said, my church, we're doing new through 30. We're all going to read the book of Hosea. Nobody would have signed up, right? It's this little hidden book in the middle of the Old Testament. You definitely never heard this story in Sunday school if you ever grew up in church because God goes to this guy named Hosea, whose name means Savior, and he says, Savior, I want you to go marry this girl named Gomer. Her name means it's over. So imagine their wedding, okay? Here's Hosea and Gomer standing face to face, and she says, I, it's over, take you, Hosea, to be my lawfully wedded husband. I mean, he knew before it ever even started that it was going to be over. Anybody get married knowing it was going to be, uh, be over before it started? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> um, and the reason God does this is because he wanted to give us a picture that was so radical and so crazy that we would understand what God's love was for us. He gave it to us in his son Jesus, but he also gave it to us in this guy named Hosea. So Hosea marries this girl knowing that she's going to be unfaithful to him. In fact, not only is she going to be unfaithful, she's going to become a prostitute. He has one kid with her and they name that kid Jezreel. And then she has a couple other kids that were not his kids. One of them, God said, I want you to name that girl not loved and the next girl not mine. All right. So imagine you're calling your kids for dinner. Hey, not loved and not mine. Come on in here. I'm paying for your dinner. Um, God does this very strange allegory for us to understand how much he loves us. And I love that he picks such a crazy illustration because most of us would agree. I mean, even good church Christian people would agree. If you're unfaithful, that's like a deal breaker. All right. We can even argue from the Bible that there's reason that we could break that deal. And God says, oh, no, no, not when it comes to my love. There is no deal breaker. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less. There is no place you can go so far. There is no pit you can be in so deep that I will not love you even though. 
And so Hosea marries this woman and she becomes a prostitute and she lives with man after man after man. And she finally gets with this real scumbag who can't even afford to take care of her. And Hosea is like watching her on the street corner and he's slipping in groceries, giving it to the man she's living with, slipping in some money so that she can have clothes, like still providing and paying for her. And the guy is such a scumbag that he takes all the stuff Hosea gives him and he goes and gives it to Baal, a foreign god. And so finally, Gomer is completely destitute. She is standing on a slave auction. The Bible says she's standing naked on a slave auction, going to be sold as a slave. And that is when God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to go and love her, even though she has hurt you over and over and over, even though she's been unfaithful. I want you to go, Hosea, and buy her back, not as a slave. You're going to buy her back as your wife. You're going to bring her back into your home. You're going to love her as if she was always faithful to you. Now, I don't know about you, wow, God must be awesome if he loves me like that. But whoa, what an illustration. I mean, if you're here today and you are far from God, this might be the best news you've ever heard, that no matter where you've been and what you've done, God loves you even though. If you've been journeying with Christ and you care about becoming more like him, this is a pill that's a little tough to swallow because put yourself in that verse. Go and love your mother-in-law even though, and you could fill in some ungodly things in that blank probably. Go and love your ex even though he was such a jerk to you. Go and love whoever it is. That is the God love that no matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, no matter how far we have fallen, he loves us no matter what. And he gave us this picture through this guy named Hosea. I want you to go love it's over and tell her it's not over. I'm going to bring you back into my home and I'm going to love you as if you were always faithful. The word that God uses to explain love in the book of Hosea is different than the English language. Like in English, we have one word for love, all right? I love Nerf guns. I love my husband. I love Kilwin's ice cream. Has anybody been there yet? Okay, let me just say that um, we got rid of Sweet Frog just in time because who wants yogurt when you can have homemade Kilwin's ice cream? It's just the best thing ever. If you haven't had it, you got to have it. But in the English language, there's only one word for love. In the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, there were many words for love. And so the very specific word that God chooses for Hosea is a love that means agreement love, like loyal love, like this is a contract or a covenant kind of love. And he chooses that word because God wants us to know that his love is based on his faithfulness, not our faithfulness. God's love is based on who he is, not 
who we are. There's a story of a guy named Abraham in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 15. And the world was kind of a mess at this time. Everybody was running away from God. And God said, whoa, I got a real mankind back in. I'm going to pick this guy, Abraham, and I'm going to start to reveal who I am and what I am like. And I'm going to bless the whole world. In fact, I'm going to send Jesus someday through this line of Abraham. And so he does this weird ceremony with Abraham that in our culture doesn't make sense. But in that culture, when you were making agreement or agreement love with somebody, what you would do is you would take animals. You would take a bird, cut it in half, put half the bird on this side, half the bird on that side. You would take a sweet little baby cute lamb and you would cut it in half and you would put half on that side. And that was for all you animal lovers. I'm sorry. Um, Half on that side. And the picture was supposed to be this. The picture was we're going to hold hands and we're going to walk through the pieces of these animals to demonstrate that I am going to keep my half of the agreement. I mean, literally in a gory, bloody sense of the picture, and you are going to keep your half of the agreement. And so the two partners would walk through, hold hands. That's how they would make a contract. If you were going to go into business together, you'd cut the animals in half, you'd walk through, I'll keep my half of the bargain, you keep your half of the bargain, and that is how we will have agreement, love, between us. Well, when God comes to make agreement with Abraham, he says, Abraham, cut the animals in half. And then he puts Abraham into a deep, like, unconscious sleep. And God comes down, and the Spirit of God moves through the animals that are cut in half. While Abraham is asleep, as a symbol to us that, Abraham, I am going to keep my half of the bargain. And Abraham, in your humanity, you are not even capable of keeping an agreement with me, holy God. So I'm going to keep my half, and guess what? I'm going to keep your half for you too. So guess what, Abraham? When you forget about me and you are unfaithful, I'm keeping my half and your half. Someday my son is going to come and he's going to cover up for all the times that you fall short. And so you can try, Abraham, but no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough. See, our relationship with God isn't based on anything we do. It's not based on what you look like, what your degree is, what your career is. It is only based on the faithfulness of God. His word tells us that if we love him, he will love us. If we obey him, he will bless us. If we disobey him, yes, there's consequences. But if we're unfaithful, guess what? He is faithful. He can't be anything else. It just is who he is. So I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this to you guys. And the best thing I could come up with, I heard a friend talk about one time, the ugliest dog competition in the world. How many of you have dogs? How many of you think your dog is cute? How many of you have a dog that's so ugly it's cute? Okay, well, on a little coastal town in California, there is a town that for 50 years they have held the ugliest dog competition. I brought you some pictures, all right? This first dog, um, his name was Ugg, I guess short for ugly. And He looks like a winner to me, but he was actually fifth runner-up. He wasn't even ugly enough to win the ugly dog competition. Check out this next one. This next one actually was a first-place winner, won the ugly dog competition. Maybe it was the Trump hair. I don't know. Um, 
If I was the judge, I would have probably picked this next dog as my first choice. I mean, I thought this was Photoshop, this picture, because you just don't get uglier than that. Believe it or not, in the first service, a few women went, that is disgusting. You are right. All right. Th so the winner this year, in t or last year in 2016, here is the winner. Her name is Sweepy, and she is 17 years old. She is blind in both eyes. She has no fur on her body, and she was the celebrated winner of the 2016 Ugliest Dog Competition. But what I want you to notice is her owner. Does he look embarrassed? to own the ugly dog? Does he look ashamed of that? He is like so proud to have the ugliest dog. I mean, he could like, I, I want to tell him, you can get another dog at PetSmart. I mean, even the adoption dogs are way cuter than that. This is actually like a fundraiser to raise money for adopt, adopting dogs. But when I look at that picture, what I see is us. We're the ugly dog. And that proud, celebrating owner is our Heavenly Father, that no matter what we look at, because compared to His holiness, we are all ugly dogs. And He loves us no matter what, and He celebrates us no matter what, and He pursues us no matter what. You can run from God. You can try to get far away from Him. I promise you this, He will never stop coming for you, ever. And maybe you're in that season where it feels like, God, you're breaking me. Like you're breaking me apart. And I want to encourage you today that if you feel like everything is falling apart, his love can hold you together. His agreement love is that strong. And it's based on his faithfulness, not on you. There was something Jesus said when he was dying on the cross. Literally, he was falling apart. His body was dying. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was literally dying, but he was also quoting what every Jewish boy would say before they went to bed at night. Kind of like their lullaby was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a symbol that God could hold you together no matter what you had gone through that day, no matter what you were facing, that the safest place for you to be was in God's hands. Even if he happens to be taking you apart, the way Jeff was ripping J.D.'s Nerf gun apart, that we can trust his hands to be the safest place, and we can trust his plan that what he wants for us will bring us good and will not bring us harm. The Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up our wounds. So even when you feel like he is breaking you apart, it is his hands and his power that will hold you together. Now, you might say, Christy, that doesn't make any sense. Why, if I did things right, would things get worse? I had a friend one time, she said, I'm doing everything right and everything's getting worse. It doesn't make sense. We're complicated people, right? If you're married to a woman, you don't need any proof for that, all right? We're complicated. We're made in God's image. He's a father and a son and a Holy Spirit. I don't know how to explain that. But we aren't one-dimensional. We have a spirit. We have a body. We have emotions and this thing called a soul, 
And so I think when we open our minds to that, it makes sense that when we come to Jesus, when we make him the leader and forgiver of our life, we can be healed in an instant spiritually, like our sin problem is taken care of in an instant. But you still have a body and a soul with a lot of baggage. And it might have taken you a long time to get into the mess you're in. So it makes sense that it would take you a little bit of time to get out of that mess, right? There's a small group in the hall. I love the name of it. It's called um, the Adult Children of Dysfunctional Families. All right? <laughs> the, the leader is phenomenal, and she was one of these. that, Like, I came to Christ. Why am I still dealing with all this baggage? Because we, we've got to do Healing takes time. It is a process. And we have to trust that the God who loves us even though it hurts when he's ripping us apart, he will hold us together until we are healed. You know, the end of, I, the end of Hosea um, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. You know what real love is? Real love is when you care enough about somebody to discipline them. It's very hard, kids, I know. For you. I remember being one of you and being like, what is up, mom and dad? Like, come on. I've been grounded for a month, you know, already. It, let me just let you in on a secret because we have some teenagers here. It is way harder to discipline than it is not to. It would be super easy just to let y'all get away with murder. It really, really would. But there's, there's two things going on here. First of all, the greatest act of unlove a parent could ever show would be to not discipline you. I remember when we did youth ministry having a 14-year-old. I remember like it was yesterday. He was sitting on our couch, and he said, my parents are going through a bunch of junk, and they don't even care about me. Like, they don't even know where I am. I'm 14. I need a curfew. I need somebody to be mad when I'm not home on the curfew time. Like I, something in him, he knew he needed boundaries, and he felt very unloved and uncared for because nobody cared what he did. So I know when we take your phone for a month, it feels like the nuclear bomb has just gone off. But what it actually means is that we love you. And it's not even so much about the moment, because here's how it goes at my house. Um, we have like a 25-minute drive from school to home. And the first, mm, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, it's like glorious bliss. We are the pastor's family, okay, people? I mean, we're so happy to see each other. We're talking about our day. And I kid you not, I can like time it. By the time we hit exit eight, all hell has broken loose in our car. Every single day, every single day, and I look up, oh, we're at exit eight. That's what's supposed to happen at exit eight. The problem is we still have eight minutes until we get home. So usually there is some physical bodily harm done, and then there is some verbal abuse that is done in retribution. And you know what? Let me just say it. My kids are in here. The verbal abuse is justified. I mean, you're bleeding and you have nail marks on you. So I understand. However, as a parent... I am not just thinking about this moment. It's not about who hit who and who said what. What I'm seeing is 20 years from now when you're married and you're going to be disappointed and have your feelings hurt. You can't say that or it's not going to be fun. 
for you or your kids. So as a parent, we get this. Disciplines, it sucks. It's, the, it's like the most not fun thing that we do as a parent. And it's so hard to figure out like what's appropriate and what's not. This is where God gets it better than us. Because he sees your future. He knows what's going to happen. And he loves you so much that he will take the time to carefully break you apart, fix what needs to be fixed, and put you back together. Do you know that discipline, God's discipline, is actually a sign that you're a real son or daughter of his? You're not an orphan or a wanderer anymore. If he's taking the time to discipline you, to take you apart and put you back together, that means you belong to him. He cares about what happens next in your life. It's actually a sign that he loves us. Jeff quotes this verse all the time. He quotes 2 Samuel 14, 14. Our mission statement here at my church is helping people find their way back to God. And he says, you know what? God just doesn't just sweep life away. You know, you've really messed up, so I'm just going to start over with someone else. No, he devises ways to bring you back to himself. And sometimes that gets messier before it gets better. We had a dryer one time, washer and dryer. Our first, like, real washer and dryer that wasn't hand-me-down from mom and dad or Craigslist. was so excited. We researched. We got, like, the consumer best, biggest washer and dryer you could possibly get because we have so much dirty clothes at our house all the time. And so we had that dryer for a year and a day. This is how it always goes. One day after it went out of warranty, guess what happened? It broke. I am, I mean, I can't live like even 12 hours without a dryer. I don't know about you, but like we have so much laundry at our house. Like we've got to have another one. So I'm already picking out my other one. I'm already calling the guy like, come pick up the dryer. It broke. I can't believe this. We've only had it a year. And Jeff was like, well, baby, I think you can pretty much YouTube everything today. I bet I can fix this dryer. So he gets on YouTube. He starts taking things apart And I'm like, okay, good luck with that. I'm going to go ahead and go to um, Best Buy and Sears and, like, see if I can find a new dryer because I know how these stories end. Well, I come back home, and you would never believe. He's like, baby, this has happened to everybody. Everybody who had this consumer best dryer, everybody's broke it, like, right at a year. And some smart engineer guy who graduated from Georgia Tech, I'm sure, he figured out if you take apart all these pieces and you get a pencil eraser, there is this teeny tiny, um, like, sensor And if you'll take a pencil eraser, all the engineers are nodding their head. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but y'all must. And you will, like, erase this sensor. You'll get the grease off, and the contact will be better. And you put the whole thing back together. Guess what? Eight years later, it still works. The dry, that's right. Props to my amazing husband. (laughs) He's on the front row going like, yeah. You can do anything on YouTube. And, And some smarts, baby. I'll give you that credit. Um... I was ready to throw the dryer out. Here it's been working for eight years because he had the patience to take it apart, fix the little problem, and put it back together again. Listen, this is what our God does. God uses this illustration over and over in the Bible, kind of like Hosea. He uses this shepherd and sheep illustration. You ever wondered why does that appear so much in the Bible? Well, in their culture, they they, they were a culture where they all raised sheep part of their living. 
And if you were to travel to the Middle East and talk to an actual shepherd, they still have them today, you would find out that sometimes when the shepherd sees a lot of potential in a sheep that's a little wild and crazy but has a lot of potential, he will actually break the sheep's leg. Sounds terribly cruel, I know. He'll break that sheep's leg. Sounds like the most unloving thing you could ever... Sounds like taking your phone for a month, doesn't it? And then he will pick that sheep up and put the sheep on his shoulders. And he will carry that sheep everywhere with him until the leg heals. Do you know what happens in the season where he carries the sheep everywhere? That sheep is so close to the shepherd... He learns to know that shepherd and hear that shepherd's voice better than anyone else. And then when the leg is healed, the shepherd lovingly takes that sheep, puts it back into the fold, and that sheep that was broken becomes the leader, protects the rest of the fold from going in the wrong direction. What if, just what if, the God who knows your beginning from your end, knew that in order to get you where you need to be, in order to set you up to be the leader he's planned for you to be, he had to break you first. Doesn't feel good. Anybody been broken before? We went through a real broken season, and it it felt like we weren't just broken, but like God was stomping on us and like making it, you know, like rubbing it in. Got kind of mad at God. In that season. In fact, we have a little statue of a shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders in our home, just as a memory of that season that God wasn't harming us. He was fixing us, making it so that we would work better for the long haul. Remember those crazy kids Hosea had? Not loved, not mine. At the end of Hosea, God says, I will call not loved, loved. I will call not mine, mine. And then the other kid has this really weird name, and it does not go with my little rhyme. His name was Jezreel. And so this week I was like, God, it would be real nice if I could say and let people know, God calls not loved, loved. He calls not mine, mine. What, did, what in the world did you call Jezreel? Why, why did you pick that name? for him. Jezreel is a place. It is a battlefield in the Middle East in Israel. Most of us know it as the name of Armageddon. See, God knows the end from the beginning. He can see a scene that will happen in the future. And he knows that you're either with him on his side or you're not. You ever wondered why God lets bad things happen in this world? Because if God put an end to everything bad right now, then guess what? It is over for all of us ugly dogs who have not yet come to him. Someday he will come back and he will put an end to evil in this world. And he wants you to be with him when he gets to Jezreel. And he knows for some of us that have a lot of potential, but also have the app to get off the path a little bit, that it may mean breaking our leg, pulling us apart, 
to make sure that in eternity we're with him forever. And from our ugly dog perspective, we can't understand that just like a child sometimes can't understand the discipline of a parent. See, people say to us all the time, Christy, doesn't, doesn't God want me to be happy? Like, come on, doesn't he want me to be happy? And Jeff will always say back to them, you know what? God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be whole. Because happiness comes and happiness goes. He wants you to be completely healed. The end of Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. Why would a loving God let us be hurt? Why would he break us apart? So that we could know him, so that we could be forever with him in eternity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we surrender this morning to your plan. God, brokenness isn't fun. As a mom, I can almost not pray that for my kids. And yet I know and trust that your ways are so much higher than my ways. And so, God, when we go through seasons where it feels like you're literally ripping the pieces of our life apart, help us to trust your discipline. Help us to trust your faithful love that you can put us together and make us whole in a way that we could never do for ourselves. We love you, Heavenly Father, and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Christy. Wasn't that good? Great job. Hey, we want to thank ultimately the Lord uh, that he provided that for us today. Uh, I, I'm thrilled. So many of you have been, have been a part of this entire series. We'll have one more week uh, next week, and I uh, want to make sure you guys are here for that. Um, I'm going to invite our guys to come, ho- uh, come forward. We're going to close with an offering and one more song, and I'm going to pray for us, and I'm just going to ask uh, in this prayer that, that maybe for some of you, you, uh, you might perceive yourself as that ugly dog. Uh, I know there's a lot of us, we've, we've, got a, we've got a past, we've got some mistakes, we've got some junk that we carry with us, and for a lot of us, we, we just need to be reminded that no matter what, God loves us. And no matter how far we've gone, how sideways we are, God pursues us in our mess and wants to use our mess to both grow us and to help somebody else find himself. So uh, I want you guys bow your heads, close your eyes, and let me just pray this uh, and, and process this with maybe where you're at this morning. Lord, we love you. And Jesus, I thank you so much that, that through thick and thin, through the darkest hours, through our worst moments, through our ugliest moments, God, you're right there with us. You pursue us not to, uh, not to harm us, but to make us whole. You pursue us, God, to model your grace, your love, your forgiveness to us. So, God, I ask right now for those of us that, um, that today would say, Jesus, I, I feel like that ugly dog, and maybe, God, there's never been a moment in my life where I have made you the leader and forgiver of, my, of myself. And, Jesus, today I, I'm, I, I need salvation. I need you, and I want to be made right. And let me just ask, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you if that's where you're at today. And you would say, Jeff, 
pray that prayer for me. I want to pray that with you, and I want to be saved today. How many of you would say that's me? Just raise your hand, and I'll, I'm going to pray for you this morning. Yes, one, two, three, all over the room. Lord, we, we, we surrender this moment. God, you've been with us today. And God, I ask right now that you would help us grasp how amazing your love and how amazing your grace is, that, that we, and that we can be forgiven because of what you did on the cross for us. So God, I pray for all those and ask those who would right now say, I need, I need, I need a Savior, that we would just simply, just our hearts, our minds to God, our Savior, Jesus in heaven. We say, God, save us. We ask that you would become our leader and our forgiver of our lives right now. Come into our lives and be our Savior. Lord, we believe, as Scripture says, that uh, if we confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, Scripture says we'll be saved. So, Lord, if you came back today, guess what? We're on board. We're with you. So, Lord, we stand with you strong, knowing that you are the God who saves, and we can stand strong with the God because you're the God who loves. So, Lord, thank you that in this family today, God, we've got new life, and heaven is more crowded because of what you've done today. So, Lord, we love you. Use these resources to help others find their way back to you. God, bless those who are generous and sacrifice. God, I pray you'd multiply their resources so they continue to be more generous in what we do as a church. God, I pray that this church would be a part of a revival in this city. God, use us, use our mess, use our story for somebody else's forever. In your name we pray, amen.